It's the Wiggly Team on Number Six Podcast, and I'm Heather, and he's... Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're on Number Six Podcast already. Oh, it's years, isn't it? It's, uh, it's amazing. We're all like two podcasts, minutes. Right? We are now, yeah. yeah. We might even be getting relatively professional. Well... <laughs> Yeah, well, I am, I well, am you a shock are, you, jock. You are a shock jock. <laughs> <laughs> right, what have we got on the show this week? You've just asked me. Yep. And I said I will tell you in the introduction. So okay. here we go. Yeah. We have news. We've had a couple of emails, a bit of feedback, right. which you'll be telling us about, Rich. Right. Uh, we've got our guests coming in this week, which is really great, I think. We've got Jenny Steele coming. Yeah. Uh, Farmer Phil's rolling in. I wonder what he's been up to. <laughs> Um, we've got a book review. You've been reading How to Make a Wildlife Garden by Chris Baines. I have. And you've given it away because you said it was great last week. Well, that's right, yeah, so yeah. Don't yeah, even so, think of yeah. a milker because what's the point of having the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, plans for the week with Alison. She wants to talk about Hawthorne. And then we've got Monty's Wormcast. Well, Rich, this week we've got our first ever guest spot. Fantastic. And I can't think of a better guest. No. A true wiggly friend. It's <laughs> Jenny Steele, the wildlife gardening writer. And she's sort of, well, she's kind of hopped in, actually, haven't you, Jenny? Nice to see you. I have hopped in. Yes, yeah. from uh, sunny Shropshire? South Shropshire, which is where I live now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And why are you hopping? Because I've sprained my ankle. Big R, Rich. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's getting much better and I can walk now. So, Excellent. on the mend, I hope. What we want to know about is all the courses that you've run in the past and a bit about why you are who you are, really. There aren't many people that teach wildlife gardening courses, which in some ways is not great. It would be good if you could go to an evening Mm. class and learn more, but there aren't many people that do teach. And most of the courses I teach now are one-day courses, and I teach for the Royal Horticultural Society. And And I teach for some local authorities. I'm going to be teaching for a group of local authorities up in Scotland next year, which should be exciting. So I get asked to do stuff all over the place, which is great, because it means I can travel about and see the country a bit. What form do they take? Is it outside? Are we in a wood? Is it in a classroom? What happens? It really all depends on the venue. And I like to try to be really flexible and to accommodate the kinds of people that are coming along. So sometimes I teach courses to teachers and they're generally looking after outside spaces around schools and they want ideas for things they can do with the kids and so on. So that's quite a different course from a general one, which would be maybe some classroom stuff and then after lunch outside looking around a garden or going for a walk somewhere, and then a bit more back in the classroom afterwards. Generally, people get quite a varied day. Mm. Um, Some people even come back a second time Mm. for a course because there's a lot to get in in a single day, and you don't always take it all in first time. I know it's an inspiration because, Rich, a couple of years ago, I think about four Wigglies went down to Jenny's Garden, which was then in Oxford, and had a day there. Right. And they came back <coughs> buzzing. Ha, got it? Yeah. <laughs> buzzing yeah, with ideas. Thank you. <laughs> yep. um, uh, oh, little bit. What, what bird was that, Jenny? That was a blackbird. There we are. 
You, I'm sure you, you should sure know that Richard knew that. that. Yeah. You know that, Heather. that the listeners won't have realised that Heather's yeah, spent many nights now listening to a bird song. I've been trying, I've got my iPod with the bird songs on there, trying to listen to work out which they are. You'll get it because you're musical, and that's, I think, quite important. Richard said I'll get it. You will. He says I have to look at the bird yeah, at the moment that they're I think, singing the I think, song. I think the best way to get it is to be able to look at the bird, and then you kind of, it's, it's a subconscious thing. You're looking at the bird, you're listening to it sing at the same time, and that image is automatically yeah. transfixed yeah. onto your mind. Hmm. Yeah. You c- just keep trying. No, but there's all these different sounds. I'm okay on that, and then the bird ticks. Ah. See? <laughs> yeah, well, songs and calls. Yeah. Stick with songs to oh, start yeah, off okay. with, yeah. <laughs> and if you don't know the sound, if you don't recognise it, it's a great tit. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. According to Bill Oddie. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Dipping doubt, yeah, yeah. So getting back to your courses. Yeah. In the morning, we have the classroom, then garden in the afternoon. What sort of things will people find out about? The one day is, it's a bit like trying to teach gardening in one day. Yeah. It cannot physically be done. And wildlife gardening is actually a bigger subject than gardening because you're not only looking at gardening, but you're looking at what's in your garden in terms of the insects and the mammals and the birds and whatever. So it is actually a huge subject. So really in a day, the only thing I can do is do my best to really enthuse people. So I give them a kind of a background to the ecology of the garden and what's going on, the interactions of different creatures with the plants and so on. Quite a lot about wildflowers, of course, because that's a really important part of wildlife gardening. It's not the be-all and end-all, in my opinion, but it's something that is a very important part. Mm. And Um, you said to me the importance of invertebrates. Absolutely. That's an interesting thing because I think more and more people are realising that, yes, it's... If we've got fewer skylarks around, yeah, that's a problem. And if we've got fewer yellow hammers or whatever, all these more sexy things that mm. you get out in the countryside. But the bottom line is that all those things ultimately depend on invertebrates in one way or another. Even a seed-eating bird like a greenfinch will feed small insects to its chicks. So really, really important part of the garden ecosystem, if you like. Gardening for wildlife has got an awful lot to do with encouraging lots of different sorts of insects and other invertebrates into your garden. Most people who come along to a course would find that a good approach. If I may be talking to a horticultural society, the idea of telling them they've got to tolerate millions of things eating their roses and vegetables... <laughs> you have that problem, don't you? It's yeah, not always right, yeah. such a good approach. So I tend then to approach it from a slightly different way. But hopefully the result is the same. And the other thing that I really try to do is give people lots of information about where they can go and find more information. Because I'm a strong believer in the idea that people learn when they're looking for stuff themselves rather than you just feeding it to them. And if they go off and they start searching the web and they find new websites with interesting information, then they're likely to take that in. Where did you get this interest and this passion from yourself? Well, it actually almost began on a specific day. My family were country people. My mum, a fanatical gardener. So I actually had my own little patch of garden when I was about four. But I used to grow sunflowers and then count the ladybirds on them and that kind of thing. So I was interested from natural history from a very, very young age. But then one day when I was at school, we were given an opportunity to go and see some blue tits coming out of a nest hole 
in a horse chestnut tree. And this was 40-something years ago, and I can still remember Careful, it. don't tell me No, age, I won't. No. But I can remember it so well because I was just transfixed by these little balls of yellow and blue fluff jumping out of this hole in the tree and falling down to the ground. One of them actually landed on my foot. And I stood and looked at this little thing and thought, I need to know more about what's going on here. And that was when I became really interested in bird watchings. And did you study it? You yeah. Know, how did that continue? Well, I, I did. I, I actually did a degree in applied biology, but then I went on to do a master's degree in plant ecology. Yeah. And I did a lot of work outside and realised how much I liked working outside and being outside. And then, just very naturally, all the things that I was interested in and the things that I had learnt came together, which was I was a keen gardener and I loved wildlife fate complete. it was all there and it's good that I've got both backgrounds really so I've got a botany and a horticultural background up to a point but then I've got the the really long-term interest in natural history too but you also write great. don't you Jen so you've done lots of books I do write guide books yep. rather than big books but that's been quite deliberate I want to make them nice and sort of reasonable so people can afford them and they're not buying something massive which then they find isn't necessarily a lot of use to them if my books aren't any use and they've only spent three pounds fifty so <laughs> <laughs> it's not so bad really that's but a I nice am way of looking <laughs> <at it>. <laughs> <laughs> but I am writing some bigger books and I love writing yeah. I really love writing so and you um, write columns too don't I you? do I write for organic gardening magazine and I've written for some of the newspapers and stuff as well so uh, yeah it, it's enjoyable so, uh, can I ask you to come in next week and bring one of your favorite books perhaps that would be great I've recently read a couple of books that I've enjoyed incredibly. They'd make great Christmas presents. But I could also come back and talk about maybe teaching some courses for you, if you fancy that, that here at Wiggly Wigglers. Absolutely wonderful. Just before you go, and in case the listeners have heard Noah arrive on my lap, who is the chocolate Burmese cat, what is your attitude to cats and birds? What's the Jenny view on that? I absolutely love cats. But I love all animals. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, I have now decided that I no longer have a cat. I used to have two cats, mm -hmm. but they both died a couple of years ago. And I'm actually not going to get another cat, much as I would love one. Yeah. But it is a huge problem. Mm. It is a huge problem. Because I can't put a bell on Noah. I don't think bells actually do a huge amount of good, to be honest. And an intelligent cat can learn to move without actually making a lot of noise with a bell it's just sometimes good luck as it was with my two cats that they weren't hunters some cats catch all sorts of things I did have a, a cat a few years back that actually used to catch small grass snakes mind you she didn't kill them you know they, she'd just bring them in <laughs> but other cats just aren't interested but by and large I think it is something that we have to think quite seriously about there so it's are. sad and I'll stroke Noah when he's here and just make do with that that's it thanks for coming Jenny I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. Brilliant. You've got the feedback, Rich. I have, yeah. We've got an interesting one here. This is a stuff <laughs> uh, called Mark Abbott, a really complimentary email, but he, he writes, I must admit I'm hooked on wiggly podcasts. They're brilliant. They're the perfect thing to help me survive my tube journeys to and from work, and they're extremely interesting too. He says he's got a question, though. Who is Richard? Well, that must be who is me. <laughs> I've looked on your website, and in the team section, you're there, naturally. He's talking about Heather now. 
but Richard is mysteriously absent. (laughs) (laughs) Which perhaps isn't a bad thing, but he also says he seems to know everything about anything. So he's he's right, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he he says, he finally says, uh, so he shouldn't have to be hidden from view. Well, I think now I'm not entirely hidden from view, am I? I think I've got, I think there's a... It's funny that you've brought this email in about about yourself, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, just yeah, to right, humour yeah. you, yeah, I've, right. I've I've you, put you, you on the website. <laughs> yeah. it's a very small picture, and uh, <laughs> yes, it's, uh, and I you do have actually got your own that in real life as well. on, the, on the website, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, apparently, I think there's we fixed uh, your teeth, love. Yeah, fixed it. Fix. <laughs> Expensive. We did. <laughs> oh, don't me. There's a there's a picture of me under the affiliate scheme, isn't there? We're yeah. talking about the, uh, the Winkler's affiliates initiative, and uh, and there's a picture with me with cross spades that Michael took in our, our weekly garden. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. And I think there's some. Uh, I think there's a couple of psychotic photographs of me in the catalogue as well, posing with bird boxes. Yeah, they were a little so, worrying. Yeah. So, the, <laughs> so the photos are there if you. Yeah. You know you that man it. on um, Back to the Future, that mad professor. <laughs> It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time that that's been. I've been called the mad professor. Ah. So and it is the first time that somebody said I managed to fix your teeth. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> anyway, here knocking at the door, I feel yes. is Farmer Phil, and so we're going to welcome him in. Come in, Farmer Phil. Hi, Phil. Good to see you again. I guess there's an opportunity to talk about you, Phil, really, and how you ended up in this situation. Well, my father was a first-generation farmer, so he, he started farming, and about 25 years ago we started farming on our own account, i.e. he had his own tenancy, rented the farm and our own business, and about five years after that we moved to Lower Blakemere, so that's 20 years ago, right. and we built the business up from there. So you'd obviously been here for several years, had you, before you met Heather? Yes, I came here in 1984, and I suppose I knew Heather for a, a number of years before we actually got together, and we were both on the shelf and decided, <laughs> well, that's how it's going to have to be. <laughs> Oh, that's a shame. Good job I rescued him. It was, it was. He did. Perhaps rescuing's not quite the words I'd use, but, but still, well, you know. <laughs> so, after, when you moved to the farm then, 20 odd years ago, yep. um, what was the main thing that you were farming at the time? The actual structure of our farming was the same that we were seed producers with single circular beef cattle right. running the grass. When we came here, the farm extended to about 500 acres in one unit, and over the years we've added bits and pieces, both on the same estate with the Duchy of Cornwall now, prudential as it was then, and latterly we've added bits through private landlords in both directions really. The, the river precludes one direction, and the Golden Valley makes it harder to go the other, so that the other two directions we've added two or three farms to the current acreage that we've got now. The house is a very sad story. That in It would have been about 76, 1976. The farm was taken in hand by the landlords then, who were the Prudential. Right. And some bright spark decided that it had got dry rot in it. Uh, right. And they basically knocked down one end of it. Uh, All downstairs uh, was oak-panelled oh, to no six way. foot high, and they no. took it out and burnt it. Oh, no. Which was very sad, particularly when another friend of mine from the Historic Buildings Trust said that the wood had probably got dry rot in it when they put it in some 200, 300 years before. Yeah, that's right. So that there was no great issue with it, but no. 
hey ho, that's in the past. What a shame. So you mentioned now the estate is owned by the duchy. That's right. They bought it in ninety nine or two thousand, mm. I think. It was right. there or thereabouts, and the Prudential had had it for the previous twenty something years or more. It might not have been the Prudential who were responsible for burning the panelling, and prior to that, it was the Guy's Hospital estate, and that's because originally it was owned by the Guy's Hospital, ah. and they bought it from private landlords who lived locally and built it up to what it is that there were a couple of families involved the obvious records start in the 1600s and right. that was when the, the estate was sort of formed because Prince Charles he's, he's got a, a soft spot for Herefordshire hasn't he and he's been down onto the farm a couple of times he certainly seems quite impressed with it yeah but I mean who wouldn't be it's a glorious place to live isn't it yeah that's right and I overheard him uh, say to Heather when he came to see our garden at BBC Gardeners <laughs> World to get my regards to Phil he did <laughs> he did but Heather does a better impersonation than me Give my regards to Phil. <laughs> He's Very lovely, good. though. Yeah. Well, he luckily, is. he didn't catch me going for seconds of chocolate cake, but that's probably where that comes from. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. He came shooting <clears throat> the first year that the Duchy owned the estate, which was great fun, wasn't it? It was great fun, but for those of us responsible for the pheasants, it was something of a apprehension as uh, the future king of England and his two sons walk to the stand <laughs> you're wondering whether there are actually any pheasants in the wood or not <laughs> we weren't allowed to tell anyone that he was coming and uh, so right. none of the beaters knew so they walked out of the wood and right in front of them was Prince Charles, Prince Harry and Prince William yeah, and they so all they immediately bit... got on their mobile phones to say to their wives you won't believe this <laughs> Yeah, what a good day. The thing with Prince Charles is, is he's so good at the meet and greet bit yeah, so that yeah, we, yeah. we all had tea afterwards. Juski. Right. <laughs> everybody involved is all together in a heap, so it's great. And he makes a real point of making sure that he's gone round the whole room so everybody had a chance to have a word with him. And it in, was full of farmers. In some cases, crack one or two yeah. jokes. It was yeah, full yeah. of farmers and Prince Charles says... Ski. Yeah. And Ian, farmer, says, Oh, yes, he said, I've been up to Payne's Castle and I've been towed up with a tractor to the top and yeah. then let down. And Prince Charles was like, yes, yes, I go to Cloisters. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said to him, Do the Germans put their towels on the seats before you get on, you know, because when you go on holiday... Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Mm. It didn't quite get... He didn't no, get that, did he? No, no. no. It's obviously not, not a joke for the aristocracy. <coughs> Or the, or the monarchy, even. <laughs> so, the, 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 <laughs> Phil, when did you take over running the farm, sort of independently on your own then? Well, th there is a story attached to that, because Father and I have farmed in partnership for 25-odd years, and we have a really good relationship, and there were no arguments as such, and the job went very smoothly. And then one day, Father said, in 12 months' time, I shall be 65, and I'm retiring. And I ignored him completely and decided that that was obviously complete rubbish and he was never going to retire. Yeah. Find um, out <coughs> next week what happened next. Did <laughs> Phil's dad retire? <laughs> Did Phil take over the phone? <laughs> take over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. I think he did. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> the professional shock it. jock just <laughs> shocked it up there, didn't she? Did Phil's dad take over the farm? Find out everything next week. <laughs> <laughs>
I was Phil's dad ever going to take over <laughs> the oh, sorry. oh, yeah, sorry. I'll do it again, Michael. <laughs> three. Did Phil take over the farm? Find out everything here next week. Alison's coming in in a bit, but just before then, we want to do the book review, Rich. And I think you've read this week's book. I have, yeah. How to Make a Wildlife Garden by Chris Baines. It's the Bible, isn't it, really? It is the Bible. It is a definitive piece of work about gardening for wildlife, really, and creating habitat in your garden that will encourage wildlife, and then some. Fantastic. Yeah. Hardback, paperback? Oh, well, this is a paperback. Um, I'm not sure whether it does come in a hardback or not, but I know... I think it uh, does. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but this is a paperback, easy to read, quick grab-off-the-shelf sort of manual. It's very fluid. You can sit down, you can read the whole book. You yeah. Can, you can sit down and read the whole book in a day. But also, you could use it as a reference book, so you could dip into it occasionally mm. if you just wanted to kind of remind yourself about something. It's the one book that we keep in the Wiggly office all the time as a reference book. When people phone up, you can refer to it. But also, there's loads of ideas in there for your own garden. There's lots of ideas. I think, really, if you're going to buy a book to research how to garden for wildlife, then this is the book you should buy. He came here, you know. Did he? He did. Yeah, yeah we had a really great day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were looking at big oak trees yeah, with right. Chris Baines. Right. And we were doing a schools project where he was involved in it. Right. Really nice bloke. Keen it's, Wiggly fan. It's interesting enough, you, you mentioned about oak trees. He talks about oak trees in here as being a, a fantastic vessel, if you like, for supporting lots of invertebrate life. Yeah. In fact, oak trees can support up to about 250 different forms of life, you know. Birch are a kind of close runner-up. So whilst you might get a little bit sick and tired of seeing birch in wildlife gardens, the thing is, is that they do support lots and lots of life. You can have anything that was kind of 200 species of invert on a, on a silver birch tree. Fun dabby. Yeah. Getting on to more important things, the chocolate rating. Yeah, the chocolate rating. Well, this book is... Um, <clears throat> Is probably the best wildlife gardening book you're going to get. He's giving it away. He's and, just giving uh, so it away. He said it was really, great. It was really, really great. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to get some duff books on so as we. Yeah, <laughs> so we can have hushes. We can But I think there was certainly a milker, you know. But really, blase um, with milker. It and is. if you're going to make milk into standard, we'll have to have a, a lint extra fine. What set this book apart for me is that a lot of books, gardening for wildlife books, in fact, wildlife books. Period. I find a little bit boring. You can read through anything. Well, I know Do that. You? It doesn't read very well. But because this book reads so well, there's a bit of humour, a bit of wit, and lots of real facts. And everyone knows Chris Bain. It's, it's if just, you don't, it's he's on Blue Peter. Yeah, he's yeah. on everything. Yeah. Okay, so I'd go with you on this. It's a double oh, milker. Oh, well, there you yeah. go. Double milker. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where's Alison? Typical. Yeah. Where is she? <laughs> there oh. she is. <laughs> Turn her on. Juggling away. <laughs> Are you with us, love? I am. <laughs> oh, she's come from over the river. Yeah. It takes a while. <laughs> yeah, the other yeah. side of the river. So <laughs> what plant have you brought with you today, Anne? Uh, hawthorn this week. Lovely. <laughs> they're not looking at their best at this time of year, but, or are they? No, the leaves are supposed to be um, dropping off soon, ready for dispatching the young plants. And some of the berries are still on the older bushes. Yeah. It looks quite nice, actually, this time of year. That's a trick world. question. Just last week, did a whole feature on um, planting a hedge. Yeah. And you were looking in, weren't you, Al? Yeah, they didn't um, really give it enough time. They only gave it sort of a minute slots within the programme. And poor Carol Klein was uh, 
Yeah, she tried her best, bless her, but they could have really given it, you know, it's the time of year to put in a hedge now. I was waiting to see all the different species, and in fact, they only showed three. Um, this, when we this, this couldn't be because you're a little bit biased. Well, probably. In any yeah. way at all. Yeah, Being be. a hedge grower and planter from Burns Hill. Well, it's such a shame that they didn't mention all the different species that you should put in a hedge. Oh, well, um, go on, just, tell um, us then. <laughs> well, the hedge should be made up mainly of hawthorn and blackthorn. Um, Why? Because they're the two main types in a hedge which bind in the others. Um, they form a stock-proof hedge if it's for a farm or for a garden hedge. Um, it forms a great barrier. Um, the other plants in a hedge are part of a mix and will combine within the blackthorn and hawthorn to make it look nice in the spring, summer, autumn and for the wildlife as well. It's mainly always made up of hawthorn. It has done for years and years and years. And Some hedges are over 250 years old in Herefordshire and the main stem of those would be hawthorn. So um, if you want a good traditional hedge, then you have one based around hawthorn. Yeah, that's right. But I, I mean, mean, lots of gardens don't need a thorny hedge, do they? No, I mean, you can go down to 50% thorny type plants in a hedge and have the other 50% made up of hazel, spindle, field maple, dogwood, all those types. So that's fine. That still looks really, really nice. But also, even if you don't need a stock-proof hedge, if you've got a thorny hedge then birds really like it, don't they? Because Extra shelter as well, yeah. um, especially during the winter months, yeah, when they haven't got as much the... Yeah. Hawthorns are a fantastic plant, isn't it? Because whilst it, like you say, it, it, it kind of provides shelter for birds and it's, an, it's an obvious barrier against people coming through the hedge or animals coming through the hedge. But also, the, you've got the berries that provide food for small mammals and birds. What are the berries like, Al? Um, they're a cluster of red berries with quite a large pip in the middle. The thrush family quite like mm. the hawthorn berries. Yeah, they are quite large. Quite similar to um, the size of a field rose hip. Not like the dog rose, the bigger hip, but the field rose has a smaller, sort of a third of the size of the dog rose hip. Mm-hmm. And round. Yeah, very pretty. How long will the berries stay on the hawthorn They'll for? stay on a really long time. They, in fact, go um, to a black colour before they drop off, and it takes some real windy weather to shake them off. Right. Um, so if we've got a mild weather at the moment, yeah, they're, yeah. they're still on there. So. so really, they need a good sharp frost to try and shake them yeah, off the, off the right. tree. Yeah, I mean, certainly when we're collecting berries, you do have to shake the trees sometimes and put tarpaulins down and wait for a windy weather. So yeah. you have to wait till they're really, really ripe before they fall off. Amazing. And... Planting? Hawthorn planting. Yeah. Um, yes, you can put about six or eight <coughs> plants per metre. Double staggered row is best. When you go to plant your transplants, can you just use normal spade, a normal spade from the garden? Yeah, chair? just a normal spade. Most people say that you, could, you just have to make a little slit and put them in. Um, two-year-old plants that uh, we sell through wigglers and have a more substantial root system, so a small hole is better. Right. Um, otherwise, you get a bit of a lean-on effect right, sure. uh, with the plants, yeah. and they need to be upright to start with. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So a small hole is better. It depends on each different plant. They all have different root systems. Some fairly robust blackthorn, quite sturdy, rubbery roots. Right. So you need a bit of a hole. How long will it take before a bird starts using the hedge, Rich? When you plant a hedge, what you need to do is try to take the tops out of the, the, the transplants for, mm. so for the first few years to make them bush out more. So it's a long-term commitment. <coughs> it's a long-term really. thing. The ideal thing with a hedge, really, is to make it dense. Yeah. And that's what gives a, a kind of affords a real protection for the birds and, and the mammals that are living in there. Mm. Size isn't always important. Again, another classic. On that note, <laughs> we'll leave it there and we'll see you soon, Alison. Cheers, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> And straight on to Monty's Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms.
There can be over a million earthworms in just one acre of soil. Together, these worms can eat 10 tons of leaves and dead roots a year and turn over 40 tons of soil. Just imagine how much waste would pile up if all earthworms in the world went on strike. Thank you, Monty, for your weekly wormcast. A joyous moment every week, Rich. Yeah. And the competition. We must make sure that you have a chance to enter our competition for a greener life. And the question is... What colour are the South Devon cows that Farmer Phil was talking about in the fifth podcast that we did? Pink. They're pink. Not really. <laughs> if you know the answer, please email heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk and at that point, tell us what you think. Yeah. Oh, it's the end of another show. It's dark outside now. When we started doing these podcasts, Nights it was still lovely and sunny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have we got on next week? Well, we've got Jenny Steele coming back in to talk about her two favourite books, Excellent. which will be rather fun. Yeah, that'd be good. Farmer Phil and you and I, Rich, are going to have a chat about worm composting. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I look forward to that. So see you next week. See you then. Bye.